turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Our reading this morning is Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. Let us pray, congregation, upon the occasion of hearing God's word read and preached together. Our most gracious God and Father, we do ask that you would grant to us ears to hear, hearts to believe, wills to do. Lord, we pray for that ministry of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, that his intercessions on our behalf would be successful upon the hearing of your word. We pray, O Lord, that we would indeed be subdued to your word. And that we would not be like those who need a bit or a bridle to be brought to heal, but that a mere word would be that which controls us. And may it be not mere control, but the very strength of heart that we receive from the implanted word. And Lord, we do pray that this would be unto your glory, unto your honor, unto your praise, that your children could indeed be carried along and ruled in the stature of Christ by a mere word. O Lord, let this be, we pray, according to your great kindness and mercy, purchased for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 24. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is God's word. Publius Cornelius Tacitus, simply also known by Tacitus, one of the greatest historians of the ancient world, a Roman. Among his most important works are the Germania, describing the Germanic tribes, 
then the Historiae describing the Roman Empire from 69 AD to 96 AD, and then the Annals describing the Roman Empire from 14 to 68 AD. Now, the selection of Tacitus you are about to hear comes from the Annals. As you hear it, you need to understand that Tacitus is explaining how an earlier emperor named Nero was trying to cover up a report that it was Nero himself who had ordered a fire be set that burned down much of the city of Rome. Here is Tacitus. To get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians, a most mischievous superstition. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty to being Christians. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of setting the city on fire, but for hatred against humanity. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt, to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Tacitus had three statements in there about the common perception of Christians in the Roman Empire. They were hated for their abominations. They were a mischievous superstition. And they were known for their hatred of mankind. In other words, Christians were regarded as a threat to the common good of the Roman Empire. Christians were socially dangerous, not because they had armies, not because they were violent, but because they did not worship the gods of Rome. That's what those three statements from Tacitus are all about. The Christians refused to polish all of the Roman idols. They were therefore considered contrary to civil prosperity. Another historian who lived at the same time named Pliny complained in his writings that in Bithynia, pagan temples were being deserted. Pagan religious duties were being neglected. Pagan sacrificial animals were not being purchased. You know, all that meat wasn't being bought very much in Bithynia. Pliny said Christianity was to blame for this terrible decline. Surely the gods of Rome were upset and would not tolerate it. Christians were socially dangerous. They were a destabilizing presence in the Roman Empire because they did not give the gods of Rome the honor all other Romans did. Well, in our reading this morning, you heard some of this. We see the very same thing. Luke tells us how the gospel of Jesus Christ came and disturbed a prominent Roman city over the customs of the Romans. And that city is Philippi. The disturbance was so severe, our text says, Paul and Silas were stripped of their garments, beaten with rods, and there were men appointed to be the rod beaters. They were professionals. And their title is literally rod beaters. 
beaten with rods, thrown into the inner prison, feet bound in stocks, no investigation, no due process, no hearing of witnesses. That's how dangerous these men appeared to the Romans in that moment. What caused the fear and cruelty to come from these leading men of Philippi? Well, on one hand, the answer is the devil. Absolutely. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, and he easily works his desires into the hearts and into the plans of wicked men. So much so, the devil is called the father of the wicked, both the religious wicked and the irreligious wicked. But there is another hand. So on one hand, the devil is the answer, but on the other hand, which we might call the upper hand, it was the kindness and power of our risen Lord Jesus Christ that brought all this trouble down upon Paul and Silas. Because Paul and Silas knew their afflictions were ultimately the Lord's own doing, Paul and Silas are found in their prison cell, verse 25, praying and singing hymns of thankfulness to God. The abuse they suffer has not driven them away from the Lord. It has driven them closer to the Lord. They are thoroughly confident that Jesus, who cast a demon out of a slave girl, could have kept them out of prison if he wanted to. But he wants them in prison. There they are, right where the Lord of all things wants them to be. Though in pain, they are in peace. Now, I want to go back to this slave girl. Because it's what happens to her that starts this chain of events that results in prison for Paul and Silas. According to verse 16, this slave girl was owned by masters whose chief interest in her was to make money off her. She was possessed by a demon, and that demon gave her success in fortune-telling. Your English Bible says she had a spirit of divination, but in the original Greek text, Luke literally writes, she had a pythonic spirit, python, meaning she was regarded in Philippi as the prophetess of Python. A local representative, she was, of the Oracle of Delphi, the prophetess of Pythias, also known as Apollo. And we will see in a moment that Paul knows what is really going on here, that a demon possesses this girl and must be driven out by the grace, authority, and power of Jesus Christ. But it is very deliberate that Luke tells us that she is a prophetess of Python. He takes the name on his quill, his pen, because in a moment, all of the named gods and named prophetesses of the Roman Empire are going to meet their Waterloo. Didn't that happen later? Yes. <laughs> but they are going to meet their Waterloo, all of them, under their assumed names because they are all under the control and rule of the devil. And the Lord Jesus is going to demonstrate his power and authority and his grace. But up until that happens, the demon has allowed this slave girl to succeed as fortune teller. 
For money, she will tell you your future. This was so commonplace all over the world. Wherever today you can buy a lottery ticket, you could have spent money then to get a fortune-telling prophecy for yourself. Now, there were some Roman elites, some very sophisticated Romans, who thought this was all ridiculous. Cicero just rips it to pieces. He, has no, he wants nothing to do with it. But it was so commonplace. You flip a shilling to the prophetess, and she'll tell you when to plant, when to harvest, when to travel, when to stay home, what to buy, what to sell. Today, Satan uses your horoscopes to get all this work done, to keep men and women under the bondage of ignorance. Today, Satan uses fortune cookies to get all this done, to keep men and women under his bondage, to make them think that they are controlling the future. You see, you don't need a demonic-possessed girl in front of you to be ruled by this. The demon who possessed her, though, gave her success. So much success, she was well-known, and she was making a lot of money for her masters. You can probably think of maybe five to ten men who have all bought a share of this fortune-telling, demonically-possessed prophetess of Python. She gave people the illusion that they controlled the future, and people will spend big bucks to live in that illusion. On a small scale, on a very small scale, this girl of Philippi is revealing Satan's program for the entire earth. Lull people into the illusion that they know the future. Men and women love this illusion. They will spend all of their gold on it. And guess what? The future that Satan allows mankind to think they know, it is never a future that includes judgment. That's what this is all about. The slave girl never told her customers, repent, for the wrath of God is coming upon the world in the one man whom God has appointed. The exact words Paul will use in the next chapter. The devil controlled this girl's mouth. What future did Satan set before Eve in the garden when she contemplated eating the forbidden fruit? Satan said, you will not surely die. Genesis 3-4. That is a vision of the future without judgment. It sells. What future did Satan smuggle into the ancient church through false prophets? Jeremiah tells us, from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That is a vision of the future without judgment. It sells like hotcakes. It gives men a false peace, and in that false peace that they just paid for, which is a lie from the father of lies, they now feel they can sin without consequence. And they are kept for hell. Beloved, beware. Fortune telling is all around you today. This slave girl from Philippi is not here. 
but her master's, her true master's trade is everywhere. If you think there is no judgment day coming, you have already been co-opted. You have already been beat and defeated by this very same scheme. And you may not even have paid for it. What a discount. No, what a cost lies ahead. Now in verse 17, we learn how Paul took an interest in this slave girl. It says that she started following Paul around the city of Philippi day after day. And she kept crying out the very same thing. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now at first, that might sound like free advertising for Paul. It almost sounds like this girl is working for Paul. What she was saying sounded quite orthodox. But here's the problem. What does James 2.19 say? You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons are orthodox. Every time Jesus stepped on a turf where a man was possessed by a demon, he said, oh, son of God, have you come to cast me out? They knew who he was. He said, silence, come out, and they came out. And we see the very life of Christ in his church in this text today because the very same formula is present. Come out, and they come out. The risen Christ lives in his church through his apostle. Now, the girl's, this girl's repeated declaration about the Most High and about salvation was no confession of faith. What it was, was devilishly vague, comfortably vague, deceptively crafted for all the people of Philippi. In fact, her statement was so vague that Paul and Silas are not arrested for what she is revealing about them day after day. There's no arrest. Romans and Greeks also use the language most high. They use the exact same word Luke uses here. They also use the language of salvation. They use the exact same word Luke uses here. And they attributed the most high and salvation to their many gods of the Roman pantheon. So this statement, which appears orthodox, was comfortably and deceptively and devilishly vague, and that's why it annoyed Paul. The craftiness of Satan is on display. He is hiding the hook beneath the worm. We must remember 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Here's how John Calvin made the same point to his congregation at the very beginnings of the Protestant Reformation. Quote, nothing makes a fairer show before us than the Pope's titles. He does not boast himself to be the adversary of Christ. No, he wouldn't do that. He boasts to be the very vicar of Christ. While hypocritical ministers of Satan do thus pretend the truth, they corrupt it, and with a deadly corruption, infect it. 
And yes, beloved, so do many Protestant ministers. Religious titles, high-sounding orthodox language is not a clear sign. It is but a vague beginning. Another reason Paul was annoyed here is that he did not want the people of Philippi thinking that the gospel needed the testimony of demons to support it. This would not only strengthen Satan's work, but it would weaken the work of the gospel. So in verse 18, Paul is going to remove all ambiguity about who is the Most High God. And this is where things get really spicy. What does he say? I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out immediately. But Paul does more than remove ambiguity about who is this most high God. He actually destroys the so-called divine power of the Pythian prophetess. For it is not divine power. It is merely demonic power, right? But all the people of Philippi think it's divine power. Paul destroys it with a word. Paul liberates the girl, casts out the spirit, and by doing this, Paul is now forcing the people of Philippi, who once attributed divinity to things and once attributed divinity to persons, Paul now forces the Philippians to reckon with that mercy and power of Jesus Christ, which so easily with a word drove out the Pythian spirit. If anyone was thinking straight, having witnessed this, and only by God's grace can a man think straight, if anyone was thinking straight in Philippi seeing this, they would have to from now on deny godness to all other divine powers of the ancient world and attribute it alone to Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, I need to tell you something that you may not know. What Jesus Christ has done for this slave girl in Philippi, he has done for you. You, too, were once under the power, rule, and sway of the devil. You, too, were once in Satan's possession. And without the eternal power and love of Jesus Christ, you would be still. You would still be subject to masters who are mere men. Without the eternal power and love of Jesus Christ, you would today be led along by the whims of mortal men. You would be spending your money on whatever men tell you to spend your money on. You would be entertaining yourself by whatever men tell you to entertain yourself with. You would be spending your secret hours in whatever way men are telling you to spend your secret hours. You would be under the control of mere mortals because you would be under the control of the devil unless the eternal power and love of Jesus Christ delivers you, and he has. Every believer 
he has taken from the possession of the devil. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Beloved, do you believe that? Do you believe that? I urge you today to rejoice and give thanks that you have been taken out from under the slavery of Satan. Do you think you were never under his slavery? Do you think you have somehow lived in this DMZ, this neutral zone between two warring kingdoms, and you were just out there walking in that peaceful middle space, and Jesus found you there? No. Who told you that? Nobody here told you that. Nobody in the scriptures told you that. You were under the power of the evil one. Yes, cleaned up you. High fluoride teeth you. Clean driveway and basement closet you. You were under the possession of the devil. Jesus Christ came to break the works of the devil over your life. And you are called now to praise him For he has broken every power against you. And there is only one power that is for you. The risen Christ. He paid with his body and blood to liberate you. Beloved, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Except those of us who know we are from God. Because we have come to God through his dear son. I don't know how you think about the condition of the world, but you are a purveyor of lies if you think that the world is not under the power of the evil one. You must stop lying about it. Let this be the last day you lie about it. You are doing no favors for your family, no favors for your neighbors, no favor for any human being by telling them that they are somehow needing to work out their own mastery of themselves. Their condition is much dire than that, much more dire. They are under the mastery of another whom they cannot master. They are like this slave girl. But the eternal power and love of Jesus Christ can liberate them. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is how we must think about ourselves now. 1 John 2.13, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 2.14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 5.18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 1 John 5.19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Beloved, there is no one but Jesus Christ who wants to see his body liberated from the evil one. There's no one but Jesus Christ who wants to liberate the elect of God from the evil one. What you see in these masters of this slave girl 
is really the heart of the world, and it's the heart of Satan. When she is liberated from demonic possession, they are furious. She was only valuable to them when she was possessed by a demon. That is their cruelty. That is the cruelty of the world. That is the cruelty of men. Men don't care if other men are under the possession of the devil. As long as they allow them to do what they want to do, only Jesus Christ cares, and only he has the power and love to break that. Now, these masters, they come to the magistrates of the city of Philippi, and they lodge their public protest claiming that these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Now, they don't know that they're Christians. They, are, they don't know what a Christian is yet. This is very early. So they reach for the very next most despised thing that they know of, a Jew. Because the Jews are known for worshiping one God. The Jews are misanthropes to the Romans. Haters of men is what that means because they only worship one God. In fact, they were called atheists by some Romans because they had so few gods. So these masters come before the magistrates, verse 20, and they lodge their complaint, saying they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Beloved, do you see what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing in the world? He is allowing and willing and wanting his church to at times be a destabilizing presence in the world. Not because our Lord Jesus Christ hates the world. He wants his church to at times be a destabilizing presence in the world because the world is under the rule of the devil. And the Lord Jesus Christ is ransacking The devil's territory, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the advance and the onslaught of King Jesus. And when he invades the territory that Satan has held under darkness, there is going to be destabilization. The Lord doesn't love destabilization. There is no chapter on destabilization in the Westminster Confession of Faith. We do not have a plan and program of destabilization. If your friends that you meet with between midnight and 3 a.m. on Saturday are planning destabilization, it's not Christian. Leave. But destabilization comes from the Lord. Not by armies, not by violence, but by the liberation of those in bondage to Satan, when suddenly they are no more use to the corrupt systems of economy that the world lusts after. Suddenly, they are not economically viable to Satan's system of wealth. Do you think Satan lives in the Fox Cities? Do you think he lives in Alabama? 
Do you think Satan has his foot well planted in Iowa? Oh, we need to read our Bibles to answer these questions, right? And once we read our Bibles, these questions are easily answered. Yes, 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 yes. When we look at the letters, and there are seven, the letters to the churches of the book of Revelation, in four of those seven letters, the Lord Jesus himself tells four churches in four post-resurrection cities that Satan has a massive presence in their cities. To the church of Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. To the church of Pergamum, Revelation 2.13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. To the church of Thyatira, who's from Thyatira? Lydia, the seller of purple. Revelation 2.24, to the church of Thyatira, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. To the church of Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 9, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Beloved, the reason it is the will of our risen Savior for the church to destabilize economies and countries at times The reason it is his will is because he is coming in mercy and power to liberate those who are in bondage where Satan dwells. He is not coming to create destabilization so that we can all talk about destabilization. But he is coming to redeem, and that will automatically involve you in withdrawing from the schemes and cunning and even wealth-making of Satan. Do you think pornography websites, which charge by the credit card, would continue in business if all the Christians who use them never touch them again? Beloved, the devil is the mastery of sinful, wicked men. He's the master of sinful, wicked men. They cannot extract themselves out of their predicament. Christ is the Lord of liberation. We must proclaim Jesus Christ. He comes in 
Instead of condemning those who are covered in the filth of the devil, he delivers those. Let us proclaim him boldly without fear. Let us even lose our lives to testify that Jesus Christ is the only power of heaven and earth. Just as he said in the Great Commission, all authority on heaven in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, therefore go. Go where, Lord? Go into the very precincts where Satan dwells and proclaim liberation in the name of Jesus Christ. Announce to sinners that all the filthy, damnable sins that cover their lives are swept away in the blood of Jesus Christ, washed off of them, And they are united to him who is precious and pure and perfect, the eternal son of God. Let us go. Let us pray. Father, we we thank you for the testimony of scripture. For it is always straightening our way, illuminating our hearts, clearing our minds. Father, we do pray today that we would not ourselves be liars and trade with the world at the expense of lies and cruelty and find ourselves even feeding into Satan's very kingdom. Father, we pray that you would keep us from lying about that power which keeps the whole world that is outside of Christ. It is not the power of men. It is the power of Satan, who lusts to exploit all the sin and weakness and wickedness in men. Oh, gracious Lord, let us not lie. Help us tell the truth that Jesus Christ alone is the liberator, Jesus Christ alone is the lover of those enslaved. Jesus Christ alone is the one who has suffered the cruelty of men so that we, the redeemed, not suffer cruelty. Gracious Lord, we pray. We pray for every timid heart that wants to often stay away from being associated with a church, a gospel, a savior who is so at odds with this world system. Father, we pray for those timid hearts that they would hear clearly that we are not being called to be ourselves agitators. We are called to be faithful in the advance of the gospel of grace. And come what may, Lord, our lives are in your hands. And we can sing hymns unto our death, sing hymns in our sorrows, sing hymns even as we pluck out our eye and cut off our arm. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would set that song in our heart, that we would not fear losing the things of this age, knowing full well that our Savior, our true head, is already seated in glory in the age to come, in our very flesh. Oh, Lord, set this strong in us, we pray, to your praise, to your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.